recording on this computer. Oh, hello, everybody. Hey, welcome one and all to the latest episode of Everything is Gay, including the straight stuff. I'm Magnus Alexander, an English writer, and joining me today is my ever delightful co-host. Uh, I am the Soleil Moonfry of Twitter, unless Soleil Moonfry is actually on Twitter, I don't know. Uh, John McDonald, American playwright, um, and Bon Vivant. I'll say Bon Vivant, because that's a fun, I don't know what it means, but it's a fun sounding phrase. Um, uh, as always, you are the Harvey to my Sabrina. Oh, that's sweet. Better than being the Dashiell to your Sabrina, because he got covered in slime. But then he went on to become a successful brain surgeon. So, like, I don't think there's much to be mad about. So, <laughs> uh, And as everyone might have guessed from that little quip of ours, today's topic of conversation is da, 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 Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Which And this is Sabrina the Teenage Witch. The uh, This is the, I guess, TGIF version is the best way to put it. Because I always forget the show was on TGIF for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the Sabrina from 96 to 2003, which seems like many, many years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Ironically, this is not Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the 1996 made-for-TV movie in which Sabrina, uh, in which Melissa Joan Hart is the only uh, remaining cast member that became part of the TV show. Um, but it's the, it's the fun, it's the fun TV show. It's fun, Sabrina. Not um, gritty, dark, and possibly terrifying that most people associate these days with the name. I would actually like to talk about Chilling Adventures of Sabrina as its own thing, uh, because Mm. I have thoughts about the show, uh, but I also have thoughts about the comic, because the graphic novel Chilling Adventures that the show was based on, I really liked, because it was really unique in its time. Nobody Mm. was doing horror comics like that uh, when that happened, and especially for... Um, Sabrina, who's historically an Archie property, um, to have mm. something of that nature come out from an Archie property especially was striking because except for the Josie and the Pussycats movie, uh, which dates to TRL times, uh, nobody was really doing anything like that at the time. So, hmm. no, I'm... a great movie if you've never seen the Josie and the Pussycats movie, by the way. If you've never seen it, like... Uh, a whole bunch of actually one of the actors from Sabrina is in it. Uh, the guy that played uh, Turk and Dashiell in this show um, is in a boy band uh, that gets sent off into space to be murdered. If you've never seen Josie and the Pussycats, the movie, what? you have to like you have to take some time to like watch it and process it. It's amazing. He gets sent off into space to be murdered. Yeah, Are we sure they, we're not talking about some horror alien? No, the conceit, of, the conceit of the Josie and the Pussycats movie, and I don't want to get too off track, but I find this movie so incredibly delightful because Tara Reid and Carson Daly were dating at the time and they're both in this movie because uh, Tara Reid plays like the ditzy blonde drummer of Josie and the Pussycats. Um, and basically the conceit of the movie uh, is that uh, the music industry is awful and all bands are expendable in the future where everything is pop punk, pop more pop than punk. And so the idea is that the more famous you become, the closer you become to death, essentially. And so like the first <laughs> thing of the movie 
is like sending this really great boy band either into space or onto plane and then like it explodes and they die and that's how Josie and the Pussycats gains their fame essentially is because they're like the next group so it's a whole thing it's amazing you have to see it I, I can't the, express to you enough how much you need to see it. For the prosperity of hu- the human race, we shall sacrifice you to the great god Cthulhu. No, it's not even <laughs> like the lottery. It's not even they're sacrificing to a dark god. It's that the music industry is just like, we're done with them. So this instead of the symbolism of Ooh. not having fame, it's literally just murder. So it's basically a metaphor for when you're no longer the, you know, the trend of the moment. Yeah. You can pretty much be recycled and thrown out on the street, basically, in in a more, shall we say, final destination sort of way. Something like that. Yeah, yes. it, it's it's a really good. If you like Spice World, you like Josie, uh, or if you can stand Spice World, at least you'll you'll be able to stand Josie and the Cliffy right. Cats. It's kind of it's up on the Spice World scale. They're very aware of what they're doing, and they're not trying to be subtle about it, and it's great. Which is also wow. what I love about Sabrina. Um, Sabrina was not a subtle show and no. I actually bought the DVD set off of Shout Factory so I could watch it and I just inhaled the series in a day and a half eating uh, pizza and just drinking root beer and watching like hours of Sabrina at a time it was great Incredible uh, so yeah so that does bring us nicely back around Sabrina a very good toting there so um i try my yeah. god i try <laughs> oh we all try darling <laughs> yeah. so i suppose we better get discussing the old girl shouldn't we and it is as you say shocking to think that sabrina started almost three decades ago now um because when you think three decades she was a she was a 50 styled star in rc comics before she mm. came to i don't think there was <clears throat> Unlike Archie, who kind of had, uh, like, Archie and the Sugars had a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, mm-hmm. Sabrina really did, Sabrina was, like, the, like, second-hand friend. Like, Josie and the Pussycats were closer, because I think Cheryl Blossoms, who was in Josie and the Pussycats, if I remember correctly, dated Archie for a while. Sabrina mm-hmm. was kind of like uh, our third cousin that lives in Riverdale, two towns over, who we see once <laughs> every three years. Um, and I think it's What's interesting is I don't actually know the motivation, but I think it's about bringing a female-identified character forward. Like Sabrina was a concerted effort uh, to bring someone in the Archie brand forward who wasn't so connected to Archie. And I could be mm-hmm. completely putting my foot in my mouth. Uh, but the way that I feel when I think about Sabrina '96 is because her mom was a producer on the show for the first few seasons. You know, she had come off of Clarissa, so she was a well-known brand product for my age group, especially. And essentially, Clarissa is Sabrina, except Clarissa was like a video game programmer who learned about her world through creating rudimentary Mario-style platform video games. Um, Although, really, uh, Herbie is a lot better of a companion than Sam ever was. But I have many feelings about Clarissa Explains It All, which I think we should talk about at some point. But as a brand, uh, Melissa Joan Hart's brand works really well with Sabrina because they're both working toward that same purpose of like female identified wholeness in my mind. And I think that's why it works so well. It was a, it was a product that really met in a lot of really great places, I feel like. Mm. 
I so uh, to give a bit of context from my viewing, I used to watch it when I was a wee nipper uh, back in the beautiful Shire of Oxfordshire, or when I was a little boy. Absolutely loved it. Uh, rewatched it as an adult recently with my other half, and I enjoyed the fact that as an adult, I could see a lot more subtleties within the series and especially identifying with the ants quite a lot more nowadays. You could really see um, their efforts to try and raise Sabrina rightly, uh, you know, despite the fact that they are allowing her to run around with potentially limitless magic, <laughs> which does cause a lot of issues. Um, so you could, I mean, to use a bit of a modern example, but still, <laughs> maybe not an example everyone agree with, the Harry Potter series, at least the kids in that are more regulated with what yeah. kind of magic they're doing outside of the classroom um, where, until they come of age. But I suppose, actually, when you think about it, they're allowed to do magic, is it 17 or 18? And technically, Sabrina got her magic when she was... 16? Well, she gets her magic when she's 16, but she can't yes. access all of it because she has to get her license. The witch the witch and then awesome. she has to solve the family secret. And so there's Wait. a couple of seasons where it's very repetitive, but like it's not like I'm not mad about it. The the reveal of Sabrina having a twin, Katrina, which is like the only other Atrina name. It's like it's like Ariel's sisters. Um but <laughs> What's interesting to me is that unlike a sitcom like The Nanny, which really leaned into the I Love Lucy physical comedy heritage, mm. um, Melissa Joan Hart and Sabrina really went more into that boy meets world um, kind of soft dialogue-y. Like there were times when she was in trouble, quote unquote, uh, because of her magic, but she was never really, except for the episode where Josh and Harvey are on the obstacle course fighting for her love. Um, which is probably one of my top-rated episodes. Um, she's never really in, like, actual physical danger so much. Now, she does put other people in danger uh, because she puts Val in danger once accidentally wishing on a wishbone, and she also turns Libby into a pineapple in the pilot, which is one of my favorite zingers from Carolyn Ray's character, is when uh, in the pilot... And Sabrina has been able to do nothing but turn things into pineapples with her magic. And she <laughs> points at Libby in the cafeteria and, um, and turns her into a pineapple in front of everyone. And she brings her home as a pineapple. And Aunt Hilda's first words are, oh, rings or chunks? Like, it's very much like a moment. And I really enjoyed it because it's very deadpan. It's very um, Carolyn Ray doing her stand-up, which is what Carolyn mm -hmm. Ray was known for before this. Because after this, she took over the either before this or after this directly, she took over the Carolyn Ray show or the Rosie O'Donnell show and made it the Carolyn Ray show. So most people knew her from stand up, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I don't uh, think she's taken over Rosie yet. I, I'm terribly sorry, sir. I have to counter you, unfortunately. Going back to your point about Sabrina being in danger. I can think of a couple of examples where she actually was. Um, the one that stands out to me in my mind, the episode where she, Brad, Brad being 
Harvey's friend in season four and Harvey all get into the car and drive off to, I think it's a skiing resort. And just to give a bit of background to our viewers might not know Brad so well. Um, Brad it was introduced in season four. He is a witch hunter, so he can sense when magic is going off around him. And if he identifies someone as a witch, he turns them into a mouse. <laughs> I didn't make the rules. That's just how that concept works. Well, and what's um, really fun, too, is that Dreama, uh, who is the new student that Sabrina has to help with her magic for some reason. Yeah. It definitely gives me, like, Buffy Kendra vibes, too. Like, that was very in vogue in the <laughs> 90s. Um, and I find it very amusing. But, yeah, he is the uh, lowest ranked person on the IMDb page for Sabrina, by the way. John Huertos, who played Brad for 12 episodes. Like, you have to scroll down to the bottom of the actors that were in Sabrina to find find him. Yes. I would like to touch on Brad possibly later if we manage to come back around to him. Um, Because I have thoughts about him, Dreamer, and the entirety of season four. Um, But going back to it, um, my main point about this is... Because they're in together in the car, um, Sabrina doesn't want to use her powers in case she gets turned into a mouse and then loses her magic for a hundred years. Um, and then they get the the Kazerna snowstorm. Of course, the truck breaks down. They run to a disused um, firewatch tower for safety and to get out of the storm. And the blasted thing starts to rock wildly back and forth, and they almost die because. Th- Sabrina is determined not to use her magic. Um, she's forced to at the last second, but she was in peril there. If she hadn't actually used her magic at that right moment, she, Harvey and Brad were all crushed to death. And regardless, if her aunt hadn't shown up at the next moment and uh, did some thing with the weather, I didn't quite understand why the weather affects it so much. If they didn't do something with the weather, Sabrina, we got turned into a mouse. It has so, to do with the moonlight. The moon, the the full moon had something to do with the uh, with it, Brad's power. It, it's it it's was not the clear. For it's not clear. They don't. They, it, it's yeah. kind of like the the family trees and the Golden Girls. It's not always clear, and you don't always see all the all the parts of it that move. Um, but like as far as that was a very popular trope in sitcoms in the '90s was getting stuck in the ski. But uh, but I'll definitely give you I'll definitely give you that for Mortal Peril. But more often mm. than not, Sabrina was not in Mortal Peril from her magic. Although when you're a teenager, embarrassment sometimes feels like Mortal Peril, and I feel like a lot of it was embarrassment based. Mm. But then there was also the episode where she grew the giant beanstalk. And yeah. Harvey climbed up it, and Harvey was nearly turned into a roast by the evil witch at the top. And who, Sabrina and nearly turned him. <laughs> and the evil witch in that episode was actually... Who played the evil witch in that episode? I know, it's a famous face. I recognised her straight away, but I couldn't remember... I can't remember off the top of my head who it was. Um, yeah, okay, so it's Shelley Long was that one. And Shelley Long is from... Um, and, and here in America, it's almost Girl Scout, Cook, Girl Scout Cookie Time. Um, and so Shelley Long is Troop Beverly Hills Shelley Long, uh, but oh. also from Cheers. Uh, she played Diane, who was Sam's great love interest for the first three quarters of the show, really. Um, yeah, Shelley Long. Shelley Long had a great moment. Shelley Long does not look great in this uh, Zoe Deschanel black 
bob wig they've got her in um, <laughs> but she was great in she was great in the one episode she was in so mm. oh yes absolutely amazing that's and that's the thing some of the guest performances on sabrina stay with you for a while i remembered that rupaul guest starred in episode i didn't know couldn't remember what capacity till i rewatched it but i was laughing he's the in this episode head of the witch's council and he's helping the ants to teach sabrina a lesson about her magic um and he does he's as himself he's as himself and he's also as rupaul and it's great this is rupaul before he became a household name I, I think he was known back then, but this is before he drag raced. He was known for so he was known for a couple of things in the '90s, especially they mm. were. I don't I don't really know if when in drag RuPaul goes by she, so I'll say they because that's nice and gender mm. neutral. Um, but RuPaul was known for doing sitcoms um, in drag, kind of teaching people about drag. Uh, like there was the one with LL Cool J that Matt Bomb talked about, but at this point. Uh, RuPaul was also famous enough for music that they were being considered for the RuPaul talk show, which is also where we see RuPaul and Michelle for the first time. Uh, mm. And so RuPaul was like a known guest star, like not someone that really had their own franchise yet, but they were kind of a known quantity by uh, especially people that watched TV religiously, which mm. is something that I did really. Um, mm. And, and of the guest stars, it was both really wonderful and it was also something that was just kind of like a foregone conclusion. You were probably going to see RuPaul on Sabrina at some point because it just made sense. Mm. Um, and that also, it's interesting too because they never touch on what happens because the first in the pilot, We Meet the Witches Council, they never really talk about what happened to, uh, uh, I think it's Penn from Penn and Teller is the original high of the witches council it's something interesting throughout the series you see the witches council go from really aloof and standoffish and very judge judgmental roby to being very like involved in sabrina's life more than probably mm -hmm. any other witch like they're very they go from being very far away to being a lot closer than you probably want the people in charge of magic to be um oh oh, oh yeah definitely um i remember a couple of episodes at one point when they were saying they pretty much had nothing to do this is this is the reveal at the end of the episode they would say oh we've got pretty much nothing to do to be honest we were taking bets how long it would take you to solve this problem and it was just great as you say they the show in a way almost started to make them caricatures of themselves and, and but they were still fun to watch yeah. um Bear in mind, yeah. too, they had a lot of character actors on the show. Um, mm. And so, like, you've got Mary Gross as Mrs. Quick. You've got Martin Mull um, from Clue as Colonel Mustard, who played Vice Principal and then Principal Willard Kraft. Um, mm. Even Carolyn Ray and Beth Broderick as the ants. Like, they're character actors at this point, really. Like, Sabrina mm. works because Sabrina is just not as much of a character act like like Sabrina's almost plays the straight man in her own show to offset the zaniness because she's almost always trying to hide it like trying to have that layer of normalcy 
And this is the reason that the movie that followed this, Sabrina Down Under, doesn't work as much, is because she doesn't really have comedy talent and like more bigger personalities to play off of. Sabrina Down Under is very much like a made-for-TV movie that really shows the flaws of when chaos is not going around Sabrina. She's not really as interesting as she is other times. Um, I don't know if you've seen the Sabrina Down Under yet. No, I haven't. We haven't got around to watching um, the movies yet. Um, I think we were partially trying to figure out (laughs) exactly within the chronologically they fitted with the TV series. I think the one of them, the first one, fits in between seasons three and four, or is it two and three? Which which movie are you thinking about? I think it. I think the first one is Paris. Oh uh, well, Paris was something she just did in the show because her dad lived there. Um, I don't even oh. remember that movie. Is the thing is no. Sabrina oh. Down Under was purposely made to give Melissa John Hart a venue to keep playing Sabrina after the show ended, which I have thoughts about. Um, but as far as like, because Sabrina was such a big presence as a show, if they made other like two hour long movies or something like that, even I don't remember that, <laughs> which is really yeah. saying something. Uh, Sabrina Down Under was specifically right after um, was specifically right after Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Let's uh, see. And- oh, okay. So I do apologize. I do apologize. It's nothing to do with Paris. Sorry. Paris is within the show. It's, as you say, um, Sabrina's father lives there. The first one was Sabrina Goes to Rome. Um, and then Sabrina Goes Down Under was the second film. Yeah. And then I think that oh, I think that was it, actually. So you've got Sabrina Goes to Rome. And then Sabrina goes down under. It's probably Sabrina goes to Rome is overshadowed by Hilary Duff going to Rome as Lizzie McGuire because <laughs> that was like a big deal um, before people in Twilight going to Rome. Hilary Duff and uh, apparently Melissa Joan Hart were going to Rome. So I suppose you could say with a lot of these um, teen young viewer sitcoms, um, special one-off movie episodes. You could almost say were a given, a, quite a trend. Um, I mean, you, as you just mentioned, um, Hilary Duff had hers, Sabrina had hers. Going forward, um, which is- Family Matters, that... Family Matters went to Paris in yeah. the final season, actually. Uh, so they, so another sitcom actually, actually mm. went to Paris in their final season. Um, not to as great effect, but- mm. I, want, I wonder whether it's sort of the American, like enthusiasm for Europe. That might play a small part in that because you, you, Europe has a lot of these very popular destinations that people hear about. You know, you've got, um, as you say, Rome, Paris, L- London. How many London specials yeah. has there been? I've lost count of all the red buses. And I I'm, mean, I mean, friends, friends did it best, really. I feel like friends did the best London, uh, London excursion <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> oh, I it's it's interesting yeah. too because it's this. It's this interesting sort of exoticism of Europe, but Mm. then it's one of those things where, especially in the 90s, TV was kind of this all-consuming, all-demanding thing. If you did TV, you weren't really a traveler. So you were using these shows to kind of travel to these exotic destinations from your couch. 
because in the 90s, we didn't have DVRs. VHSs were expensive in a lot of ways. Like my household didn't really have them yeah. uh, for a long time. And it's just one of those things where it's the thing about we say we want to travel, but really we'd rather travel from the comfort of our own couches, essentially. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In, that might be a, a nice um, topic of conversation to have another podcast, actually, uh, talking about uh, TV specials um, and also looking at how other places view each other, almost. Because it seems to be every time you go to England, you end up usually in London or Oxford. There's no mention of any of the other cities. But I suppose that's just... You, know, you go with what's popular and what's known about. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking um, of popularity in Sabrina, I know you wanted to talk about Salem Saberhagen. Um, not Nick Bacay, the voice of Salem, but Salem Saberhagen, who along with Melissa Joan Hart has the distinction of the most episodes of Sabrina at 163. Um, yeah. Because they're the only two characters that were in every single episode, essentially. Um, uh, well, um, Indeed. And just touch your point you said before about how you feel that when Sabrina's maybe taken away out of context, maybe away from her um, fellow cast members, that you don't feel she has so much, um, I was about to say personality of her own. She does have yeah. personality. She, but she's I, nice, but she's not zany. Like is it, yeah. She works well within the setting she's in. And that becomes good focal character. In the counterpoint, Salem really was the breakout character of the teenage witch. And he has tons of personality to spare. And I would say that he was quite interesting because he was very nuanced. At times he could be quite like over the top and arrogant and sort of like, I'm gonna take over the world. You know, pinky in the brain moment there. Uh, he was also strangely vulnerable at the same time. Um, the, the whole thing with his mother, for example. Yes. Do you remember yeah. the whole Kate controversy on that? <clears throat> now, I, I, when I think of Salem, and this always makes me happy, is about every five or six years, people rediscover Salem Saberhagen. <laughs> um, and I always think of Salem as kind of this, mo- people see him as this modern day Bacchus because when they screen cap stuff, from Sabrina, they do those wacky over-the-top moments, um, like his, like he's a cat that desires tuna, but because he's human inside, he desires too much tuna kind of thing. So they go really to that kind of um, pleasure bot route from Futurama or like this Bacchus thing. But Salem really is very nuanced. Like he's got a, a lot of dynamic personality, but Salem was also very, um, he was so unaware of himself too like the humanity inside of him was just so there like he had so many emotions that he was portraying all at once and I appreciate it um I did not appreciate the puppet they had in the first season before they had the budget to make a proper puppet um because that first season Salem is not fun to look at uh but by the time they've been renewed they have enough money to make a proper puppet and I think Salem really takes off then um and it's an interesting switch too from the trope of the familiar who's very helpful because Salem is really just out for themselves. Salem is not a helpful cat 90% of the time. 
when when he shows his sweet side or when he's like Sabrina, you should probably study. Um, it's really great. But then you get I, one of the season finales is actually Sabrina is actually Salem getting them all locked up, trying to regain his humanity so they can try to take over the world again, if I remember correctly. Um, mm. And so it's it's very much like. Salem encapsulates the wildness of humanity, kind of all the ups and downs of it, but he does it from the comfort of his own home, essentially. It's very rare to see Salem outside of that very beautiful house with the stained glass windows and the turret-style mm. bedroom that Sabrina lives in that I'm very jealous of. Um, Which um, I should bring up, one of my boyfriend's main complaints, and to give some context, my boyfriend is a massive Sims architecture fan. So he loves playing the Sims. He loves houses and stuff. He always complains that he mapped out Sabrina's house once and it makes no sense, logically, how her bedroom fits in with elements of the rest of the house. Yes, and And that is is very common in a sitcom in the 90s. Actually, what's interesting about Sabrina's bedroom is that Clarissa had the same problem is that they stylized the bedroom to the character, but it didn't make sense in the house. Um, Also, Seinfeld's apartment has that same issue. Someone did the floor plan (laughs) of the building once, um, and apparently the apartment of the guy that plays Kramer should not exist where it does, based on the layout of the kitchen. So it's one of those things where I don't know that they were so focused on the architecture, but I can see how that would be amusingly distracting. Um, it's a beautiful room, though. Like, I'm not mad about it. Oh, definitely. And I'm really glad that they kept using it so much. Um, it's a great set. Um, to talk a bit more about Salem, I think something that everyone always loved about him is even though he could be selfish and snarky and he would try to be helpful to Sabrina, but a lot of the time it's all just pointing her in the right direction to make trouble for herself. The amount of times she, he was in the bedroom and said, why don't you look up the spell book for the spell that you need? Yeah. <laughs> and then that and then it leads to the uh, Tom fuckery. Um, I think a lot of his charm comes from the fact he really was quite a fabulous character. Yeah. He was witty, sarcastic, the costumes that he would love wearing. The other great thing about Salem was he was not afraid to cosplay and get into drag when the occasion demanded it. Um, I just remember this big, beautiful, fluffy feather coat he had once and big glasses and such. Um, I think he was having a pedicure at the time, but I forget which episode it was. Hmm. That doesn't sound out of character for him. So (laughs) everyone could use a good pedicure every now and then. Um, What's really great too about Sabrina, when you think about Salem in context, when you think about Brad in context, when you think about even Willard Craft in context, mm. occasionally they could be the bad guys, but they were never like ultra evil bad villains. Sabrina was the type of show that you could watch and you would know things would go wrong, but you never felt that the villains were so evil and bad. And over there. It wasn't like watching Halloween Town where Calibus no. is out to destroy the universe. Like you <laughs> kind of knew what you were getting and you knew that it was going to be except for sadly the prom focused episode that the prom episode wasn't focused on the prom it was an afterthought 
But except for that, you saw a lot of the markers of things. It was more important that Sabrina have the markers of teenagedom more than mm-hmm. she had, you know, a real bad villain to fight. Really, the villain of the series, if you think about it enough, is Sabrina herself because she gets everybody else into hazards. All of her boyfriends go through like hazards. Even her boyfriend, the final season, Aaron, gets turned into a goldfish. Like, you can't. Like, like she's not trying to be the villain, but really the biggest villain of Sabrina the Cage, which is Sabrina, which is really hard for me to say because I love Sabrina. Yeah. But it amuses me to think this too, is that... It, it's her struggle with herself and as she's maturing into herself yeah. as an adult at the end of the day. Which is that really great, uh, the really great... The, I don't know if you've seen the finale yet. I don't want to... Mm. Uh, no, I so, I so remember I, bits and pieces, but I can't remember it fully because we haven't got to it yet. I'm sorry to say. So I want to give you a little bit of context for that. Uh, and what you just said is really interesting. So by the way, uh, Soulmates is the name of the episode and it's the highest rated episode of the entire series, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is one of my favorite episodes as well. And in regards to context of Sabrina growing up, there's a really important moment in the finale where she's talking with because they brought back carolyn ray and they brought back uh zelda um but not as zelda uh they brought back um and hilda and sabrina's freaking out because she's kind of she's got cold feet which in the magical world is represented by ice blocks on your foot um which i'd love to talk about the visual puns because i have one for the can of worms soap opera episode but her aunt says her aunt and her mom say something very profound about the presence of magic in her life and how she's choosing to let the chaos consume her of the magic and how she can choose not to interact with it that way. And she can just choose not to say no to magic as in getting rid of it forever, but kind of choose the parts of it in her life. Um, And that leads really to the whole third act ending, which gives us that very sweet resolution that everybody needed uh, for the show. Um, and so it's an interesting thing of we start off with the chaos of the pilot and Sabrina turning Libby into a pineapple and the end of it, the magic is affecting Sabrina herself and the women in her life, especially surround her as kind of this pseudo coven and go, you don't have to live this way. You can choose other ways, something else. There, there's a balance that you can find, but you have to choose it. And so it's a really interesting thing where through the timeline of the show, she finally gets a moment where she can make a choice for herself. So, yeah. And I really liked the word you just used there, um, the sisterhood around her. And I think that was one of the points of the show I really enjoyed um, was the fact that Sabrina always had loving people to turn to. Um, they weren't always like, like completely there. They're usually a bit zany or wrapped up in their own chaos or this, that, and the like other. Like a normal teenager, uh, she didn't always listen and she could have avoided or, everything or, that happened in the half an hour if she had just listened. Or uh, she didn't um, appreciate sometimes them or what they were trying to do. But as you say, that's a normal teenage response. Um, and that, I mean, that's going on that a little bit for a second, that's sort of what made the show still very relatable to watch. You mentioned before about 
um, it was part of the Feel Good Friday lineup. Sabrina was always such easy viewing. You could sit down, you could get immersed in half an hour or watch a whole load of them. And that was great. It was very easy viewing and there wasn't this dark threat hanging over it. Not like, you know. Well, Libby. I mean, Libby was kind of a dark threat, but Libby also ends up going off to boarding school because she because she, she just is driven so crazy it, by Sabrina, like her parents have to get rid of yeah. her, it's great. Libby, oh, Libby's a monster, we should t- touch on uh, shortly. Um, but the thing with it is, like Sabrina always had loving, caring people around her. And one of my favorite episodes, and I think it, by sounds of it, what we talked in the past, it's one of yours as well. It's the episode where Sabrina's allowed to tell someone about her magic for a day. So yeah. she, I think she ends up telling Valerie. And then Valerie being the bitch she is. I do not like Valerie, by the way. And I can I'm give you- I'm going to have re- to put explicit on this one yes. on the podcast here because of the curse words, but I don't mind that. So <laughs> I do apologize, dear viewers. No, in, in, America, in America, we're very weird and produced about sex and about cuss words. And I don't understand the fetishization of violence. That's neither here nor there. I I feel it's perfectly fine with me. So, Uh, Mm. by the way, the holiday where Sabrina can tell someone about her magic was Friday the 13th. So this is also taking the trope of Friday the 13th where it's considered super bad luck and where you could get murdered by somebody uh, from the Friday the 13th movies and turning it into like a celebratory carnival type date. And so in that way, it takes something and it puts it on its head. It almost returns it because originally Friday the 13th was like a pagan holiday and then the Christians turned it into like a day of bad luck. And so it's kind of returning it to its roots, which is great. So Friday the 13th was uh, the day. This was an episode, by the way, from 1997. So we are a little bit more than a year into the series um, Hmm. at this point. So we've established established Valerie as a character too, because uh, her first friend, Jenny, um, has gone to live in Alaska? It's never no. really very clear because we get a phone call from from Jenny and then we never see Jenny again. It, it was never explained. Um, it was Valerie that went to live in Alaska um, at the end of season three. Like with Libby going off to boarding school, Valerie moved with her family to Alaska. Um, Jenny just disappeared. Um, she was there one day, gone the next. Basically. That's because she didn't go to Emerson College. They needed room for Soleil Moon Fry and Elisa Donovan. <laughs> oh. um, but to go back to the Friday the 13th analogy. Um, so Valerie, despite the fact Sabrina said, I can only tell you, Valerie goes and tells Harvey. <laughs> and uh, Sabrina has a moment of sheer panic. Like, you know, her she could suddenly hear the blood in her head. The world is zoning in around her. Uh, but Harvey comes over and is really accepting. And then, so Sabrina then takes them to the car- the magic carnival in the other world. And they have lots of fun for one beautiful golden afternoon before um, Valerie and Harvey completely forget about Sabrina's secret. Yeah. And the reason I really want to touch upon this is I think that is a really lovely analogy for what a lot of young LGBT people 
probably go through in their heads through um, the different points of this episode. Um, the fantasy of being a feeling able to be free to tell a good friend of yours a secret and for them to accept it. But then you also have that fear that Sabrina has that they won't accept it and they'll start hounding her about it. Well, and there's also a historical component to that because previously in the episode to whom she had told and chosen, both of her aunts had warned her about people they had chosen that had uh, gotten them put in mortal peril. So there's Mm. a great vignette across the board of like people in pilgrims outfit with pitchforks and torches running up. And no matter what time period is, it's always the medieval time period, which is great. Um, and, And so it's really interesting. There's a historical thing. It's also a really great foreshadowing of how Harvey takes it uh, when she can no longer tell him that he can't, uh, when when she can no longer convince him she's not magic anymore and he figures that out on his own. Um, And I could talk about Sabrina and Harvey for ages, so I won't interrupt, but uh, Freddy the 13th, I think is a great episode because you also see Nate Richard in drag for for a hot moment uh, because they end up in that whirlpool. And so Nate Richard at this point has been, he was a werewolf. He got turned to a werewolf in season one. Um, he gets made pregnant, I think, in season three. Yes. she's working with Dashiell. So in season two, uh, he switches clothes with Valerie at the carnival because they both end up in a whirlpool. And so it's also about kind of the unique, interesting softness of Harvey. Um, instead of like this macho or kind of skeezy Stefan or Kull character, um, so instead of like the writer strong from Boy Meets World or Stefan or Kel, um, you have Harvey as this really great counterpoint where there's a masculinity to it, but he's also just a gawky teenager trying to find himself. Um, mm-hmm. And in spite of Sabrina either trying to fix him or putting their relationship in peril because she can't um, she can't uh, get the the stupid football poster done for him, which is the weirdest high school ritual I've ever heard of um like he's always there for her there's something not feminine about him but his masculinity is softer than a lot of masculinity you saw on tv in the 90s it was just kind of accepted about this this is why I like this particular Harvey like there have been other Harveys but Mm. Harvey and Chilling Adventures for me doesn't hold a candle to Nate Richard as Harvey Kinkle um and I think Mm -hmm. as a counterpoint to Sabrina being so chaotic and kind of flighty every now and then and just so dynamic. There's a patience and there's a tenderness in Harvey that I think is really important. And and to be slightly superficial now, to the depth that you just said, which I wholly agree with, you can see why that really patient and loving Harvey became quite the teen heartthrob oh he was so cute i'll be i'll be completely honest like it took the second viewing for me to realize he was so loving and patient the first viewing when i was a teenager was just like you know sure um and i wasn't out to myself at this point it wasn't until i saw david borean as his angel that i felt any stirrings but like i could totally i dug harvey like i i would have probably had a crush on him had we gone to the same school i'm sure you you could see why all, all the women were fighting after him. Um, yeah, you know they probably were like at first glance, oh he's 
a footballer and he's a tall guy and oh he's a guy sort of thing but if you look past that at uh, his really sweet understanding nature i mean even libby who was constantly chasing after harvey and trying to steal um, him away from sabrina she probably sensed that as well well that and the fact that she probably saw him yeah. as well there's a status sport. thing libby's whole trajectory on the show was about status um, yeah. Even when she was turned into a nerd by Sabrina, the idea of the status of nerds being on top for her it was always about Harvey as that perfect football star boyfriend. I'm not sure how much of that was Harvey being Harvey. We never really get to know. We get like the episode where Libby gets turned into a puzzle. But even in that, because she is a side character, we never really get to know more about Libby than she's kind of the foil to Sabrina where she's mm. very polished on the outside, even if on the inside she's falling apart. Um, yes. Whereas Sabrina would try to be polished and then the magic would probably turn her into a shoe polish or something like that. <laughs> because the visual puns were on point and there's nothing the other realm likes more than a pun. Indeed, indeed. And yes, yeah, so Libby, um, to discuss that, her very quickly yeah she was such a great foil to Sabrina um I really think that she should have been on the show longer because they basically replaced her with uh Brad in season four as but there was no competition there Brad did not have Libby's fieriness her ability to scheme because Libby did have some ability to scheme and that I think that's what often infuriated Sabrina. Like, no matter Sabrina's academic gifts and everything, uh, Libby always came out on top. She did. Sabrina did use her magic occasionally, despite Libby. Um, it felt slightly cheap when she did that because that was her way of getting back at her. Um, but to touch on something that you said, and I'm going to quickly address her part within that Friday the 13th episode, because I think she has a very important part in that, which we haven't talked about yet. You said about her when she got turned into a nerd in that one episode. I think that's really interesting to see. The fact is, despite the fact her, an element of her identity changed, it was very clear that she was still very much Libby and she took her identity um, and switched it on its head so, you know, you were saying about the stereotype that geeks are soft, nerds are uncool and everything. Even though Libby was now a nerd, she was still the same um, rotten type of person inside, the same dominating type of person. Well, there's something really interesting about Libby that we can do another parallel to Buffy. Mm. Um, so Buffy had the same problem Sabrina had in the transition from high school to college. Um, both Sabrina and Buffy have to learn how to fit in and their main antagonists have gone away so the world becomes their antagonist. In the case of Buffy, it's, um, oh, the bald dude who turned into the, not the mayor, uh, but, the, but the principal of the school at the time, oh, yeah. whose name hmm. I can never remember and who's <laughs> not really that important. Um, but Sabrina loses Libby and doesn't really make friends with Roxy and Morgan, who Soleil Moonfry and Elisa Donovan play. Um, and then in the later, in, in the last season, they kind of become uh, the new Hilda and Zelda when Carolyn Ray and Beth Roderick leave the show. Mm. 
Uh, and so in a way, Boy Meets World went through this um, and Buffy went through this and then Sabrina goes through it where when they change locations, which this is partially why Glee failed as because they weren't willing to do this transition. It's like, it's, it's kind of like in the coming of age story when you, um, it's like in the coming of age story when you have to create a new villain and you have to show them growing up, you have to get rid of their high school nemesis. But the thing mm. is we never see Libby again and they have never done like a Sabrina the Teenage Witch high school reunion episode. So I highly doubt. Uh, so after Sabrina, after Jenna leaves the show in 1999, Jenna Lee Green, who played Libby Chesler, when she leaves the show in 99, uh, the next thing she does where she is a lead is a project called Cover Me, which is a TV miniseries that IMDb has no information on either than, other than she was in it with like 10 other people. <laughs> um, so I, I do kind of wonder, I, I don't know if Jenna's ever addressed it. I couldn't afford the, uh, the meet and greet and uh, when they came to when they came to my local Comic Con, I really wanted to see the cast of Sabrina, but I could not afford to meet them. Um, and I, it's one of the things where I always kind of want to ask Jenna about Libby and if she wanted to stay on the show. And I always kind of want to ask Melissa how she can do the God's Not Dead movies and still like celebrate her role as Sabrina. Um, like I always have, I always have that question. I always want to tell Nate Richards that I had a crush on him. But considering that I cried when I met Austin St. John, I probably shouldn't meet Nate Richard because I think it would be weird for him. Just like it was probably weird for Austin St. John. Um, <laughs> but I bet, Nate, I bet Nate gets that a lot. I can't imagine because really besides Corey from Boy Meets World, you didn't have a lot of kind of softer, tender, tender male leads in a lot of shows. So mm. I think Harvey probably for a lot of Young queer, <clears throat> young queer guys um, was like a, like a like a point of contact um, to something for them. Mm. <clears throat> Definitely, um, what you were just saying about you couldn't think of a lot of like sweeter guys on other shows. It is probably because the fact is that dare I say, Sabrina was written and directed at probably a young female audience, not so much um, girls and boys. It was directed more for girls. I think elements of it started to change slightly as the popularity of it exploded, but how the characters were written would have been aimed at that demographic. Um, but certainly I think that it's really such a nice family-friendly show yeah. that anyone can really get into watching it. Um, so to go back to what I was meaning before about Libby, um, the last part of the Friday the 13th episode, um, Libby's overheard uh, Valerie telling Harvey about the magic and everything. You really hate Valerie <laughs> so much. Like, you hate Valerie. I haven't even talked about Valerie yet. I'm saving that for... <laughs> right, am, am I going to touch on Valerie now? Should I just get it out of my system? <laughs> I think we're going to have to have a part two episode because we're already approaching an hour almost. So we may have to do a part two on Sabrina. And there's a lot to talk about in Sabrina uh, because we yeah. haven't even talked about um, the popularity of pop music. I wanted to touch <laughs> on the idea of Sabrina as an, un, as, as an unfocused pop star princess, essentially. Um, 
in in the in the same way because she had a lot of connections with Britney at the time, and Britney was the highest rising star in the planet, which was right and proper. Um, but there's a lot about Sabrina that we haven't touched on. I think we could probably do two episodes on Sabrina uh, because Paul Fig. We haven't touched on Paul Fig. Um, mm. We haven't really touched on the college years, and I did want to find out which of the four theme songs was your favorite. So I think we should do a second episode on Sabrina too. And then you could do your rant about Val and I can do my Melissa Joan Hart rant. And we should talk about the ants as well. Yeah. I just want to talk. Carolyn Ray is one of my favorite female comedians from the nineties. Um, so I would love to talk more about, about Carolyn mm-hmm. Ray doing her, doing her aunt thing. So yeah. And about the, I I know they were sisters and they're being portrayed as sisters and as loving aunts, but really you could almost look at them as an analogy as well for a a very close female couple raising a child. I mean, they had an episode where they divorced essentially, and Sabrina lived in two two different houses that were just mirrors of the house that she didn't notice it was a mirror of the other house she was in, which I always find very amusing. Which I th- well, which was brought up, I think, by Eva Harvey, Harvey or, um, oh, whatever his name is, um, the evil headmaster when they visited. Um, but, sorry, um, I think that was the episode that RuPaul guest starred in, that they were trying to help I remember RuPaul came in and it had to do with her mind and it ended up being like a magical hair salon thing that gave her like this really great pink or purple haircut. I don't remember the context of it. I just remember RuPaul coming in at the end of the episode. It might have been that. I mean, that makes sense. That seems like something the other realm would do, especially if they were bored. Um, I, I really do think it was that. Um, so maybe we should wrap up this episode by me just touching quickly upon this Libby thing. Yeah, of course, definitely. So Libby's found out about the magic and she, because of her self-centered nature, she sees it as her opportunity to get something from it. So she decides to try and ruin Sabrina by taking her secret, telling basically the townspeople that are in the school and, re- and whipping up an angry mob to storm around to Sabrina's. They drag the ne- a news crew with them. They confront Sabrina about her secret and try to out her. But her friends, who have been with her the whole time, vouch for her. Um, and despite the, uh, particularly Val, who has a moment of fucking hesitation over whether to be true to her friend or not, still supports Sabrina. And Libby is shown to be a fool and uh, she's basically like everyone goes off and a half and Libby's lost her reputation basically for a while and chases after them screaming. I, when you combine it with the rest of the episode, when you see it as a metaphor, a lot of gay people think would, I think would view it. I think that touches upon the metaphor of fear of being outed. And especially and- in the 90s in the yeah. late 90s especially people think we had a lot of things in the late 90s as queer people but there was still a lot of fighting that was happening in the 90s it was not as accepted yep. as some some things made it seem so exactly and this is why i think the writing in sabrina can be so brilliant sometimes 
because it was clear. I mean, they never made it out to be anything more than an analogy for the whole witch thing and like being out as a witch. But the fact that you can take that and see it as a metaphor for your own experience, that that's the sort of show that I just love. Well, I would love to, because we're talking about holiday episodes, so I'm going to put a pin in this for the next episode, because I really do think a part two is needed. I would like to talk about, because whenever we think about holiday episodes on TV, we have a very specific set. We have an It's a Wonderful Life episode at Christmas, where you realize how good your life is. Um, Boy Meets World did a really great one. I love the pancake analogy. But on Sabrina, they did birthdays, they did Halloween, they did Christmas. They had the episode where... They had, I, I consider this, this is a weird one. I consider the episode where Sabrina is addicted to pancakes, pancake day. I consider <laughs> that a holiday episode, actually. Um, and I would like to talk about kind of the holiday episodes. Sabrina having the one Christmas where she doesn't want it at all, so she gets rid of it. Um, and I'd like to hear what you think Bobunk is, the holiday that never was, the holiday that Salem talks about. <laughs> Nobody can remember but Salem. Um, I, I don't know why you would think that I would know what it is. If I, I mean, I clearly don't remember I, it either. I would like your hypothetical on what you think we did while celebrating Bobunk in the in the universe in which it exists still. Um, like, are right. there Bobunk Day presents? <laughs> do you do you do you go to the mall to visit Bobunk Santa kind of thing? Uh, but yeah, I'd love to take a time to talk about the holiday episodes, uh, the homage to Pee Wee, uh, to Pee Wee Herman, Pee Wee's Playhouse with the talking furniture in the Halloween episode with the candy corn and 10,000 Maniacs, which was such a hot band, both at the time and currently. Um, And I do want to talk more about her other boyfriends. I want to talk about Josh. I want to talk about Sabrina outside of high school um, because I think it gives Sabrina even more context as she grows up. I do want to talk about Aaron. I would like to talk about uh, Mr. Poole. I'd like to talk about Mrs. Quick. I'd especially like to talk about the episode where they visit Salem, Massachusetts, and they have the game, and I think it's season one because it's Mrs. Quick, where they have the Who's a Witch game. Um, and mm. I really, I love that episode, and I think it's a good episode to kind of talk about as like a serious thing uh, because the answer there for her, like they drive out to Salem uh, to tell her, We're not taking you home, and you need to be able to face this as part of your heritage. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about that in relation to like how queer people sometimes we want to say, you know, the best of the fighting is behind us and now we have full liberation when we don't um, and struggling with the past. And so I just, there's so much in Sabrina that we didn't touch on and I really want to touch on. I, I want to touch on Roxy and Morgan. I want to touch on the ants more like you want to do. Um, yeah, there's just there's so much good stuff here. So I think we should do another episode on Sabrina. Right here then. Well then, I suppose we better wrap up this first segment then. Yes, and, um, and if there's anything anybody wants to uh, hear about Sabrina, they can reach us on the Instagram um, and they can be like, you didn't talk about this in Sabrina. We want to hear about this, blah, blah, blah. And we'll be like, that's great. We want to talk about that, blah, blah, blah. Because I'll talk about Sabrina. I will specifically talk about Sabrina and Harvey until the end of time because they're like the one straight couple I think that I ever really, like I liked Topanga and Corey, but I think for me, Harvey and Sabrina was kind of the ultimate straight couple. Um, but that's that's probably, I'm probably alone in that arena, but that's how I feel. Right then. Well, I, I suppose we should say goodbye to everyone. 
And Goodbye to everyone. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, okay, thank you everyone. And I hope that you'll join us for next time for part two of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I'm John McDonald. And I'd like uh, to, yes. Oh, I was just gonna say, and I'm Magnus Alexander. And thank you so much. And I hope everyone has a great evening. I hope you have a magical day. Oh, oh. oh that was really bad. <laughs>